0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, how is the summer going for you so far? Yeah, it's going fast, right? It so hasn't been very hot, has it? It's kind of... Uh been a, a, a nice summer that way. Um, and so it's good. It, I mean, I'd rather have a good summer than a bad summer any day, right? Um, but there's something that I know based on my own life, based on my experience with people, with you guys, and that's that things can be going real good on the outside, and, you know, going along smooth, having a great summer. And there can be Significant problems in our lives, even at those times. Problems that we look at, and and that you know, that maybe they're either really big and in our face right at the moment, or maybe not, maybe they're just kind of bubbling under the surface and gonna erupt at some point. But we have problems, And, and we don't know the solutions to those problems sometimes. Good news is. God knows the solution to those problems. And we wanna talk about that some today. Um, <clears throat> we're in this sermon series, A Great Cloud of Witnesses, and that comes from a phrase in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12 after Hebrews chapter 11, which is a whole chapter on how people turned to God and believed God and put their faith in God and, and did the things that God says and experienced God working in their lives very often solving those problems in their lives, bringing them to a solution. And so God is very capable of solving our problems. And so we've been looking at this in this sermon series, trying to say, okay, so what has God done in people's lives? How has he worked? What can we learn from that in our own lives? And so today we're going to look at that and see that God is quite capable of solving our problems but that we don't always believe. And there's some things in our lives sometimes that cause us to doubt. And so we're gonna see some of those things today as well and hopefully get to God's solution. So uh, let's do um, a quick review here of where we've come from, Not not everything, but let's go back to Abraham. Um, And in Genesis chapter 15, God says to Abraham that, that your descendants are going to go into captivity in Egypt, and he says they're going to be there 400 years. And then he says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Okay? So we have two things going on here. Usually we think about this whole idea this is about God making promises to his people, the promised land. Abraham, your descendants are going to come back in this land that you've walked in and are continuing. This is going to be their land. I'm going to give it to them. And what we typically find ourselves passing over is the fact that there was something else going on here, too. And that's that in the land lived a people called the Amorites. Abraham knew some of these people. Some of their names show up in the stories of Abraham. But these were people who were not yielded to God. They didn't believe in the true God. They believed in other things. And uh, so this idea of iniquity is this willfulness, this going their own way, doing their own thing, which is sin. Okay? And he's saying that apparently that if as they continue on this path, that they're gonna reach a place where their iniquity, their sin is complete. In other words, it's filled up to the top to a place where it must be judged. It must be dealt with. And he's giving them 400 years really to turn around, 400 years to turn away from that, and if they don't, if they continue their own ways, at the end of that period of time, he says, I'm going to have to judge them. That's the way it is. And we've seen God do this. We have the flood, right, where he judged the entire world. We have Sodom and Gomorrah. We understand that judgment was there. Um, And God says, I will have to judge the Amorites. Um, And so that's going to be an important part of our story. And so 400 years, he, say, he says, it's gonna be the time frame. Uh, 400 years pass, and God miraculously uses Moses to, to get God's people out of Egypt. God delivers them, and if you remember, right, it wasn't a matter of a few days where they find themselves between a real rock and a hard place, I actually say between a rock and a wet place, right? The Red Sea, they come to that point. God miraculously opens up the Red Sea, and Israel goes across. Now, let me um, just say, that I believe the Amorites, and and we'll see before we're done today, I believe the Amorites were aware of God and what he did and how he worked and what he was capable of. So they knew enough to turn to him, okay? And so now they, they, uh, they come out of, uh, Israel comes out and God has miraculously delivered them. He's providing the manna for them in the wilderness. In the wilderness, they're there for 40 years and they defeat these two Amorite kings who are there and who come against them. And, and then eventually, at the end of 40 years, they cross over the Jordan River miraculously the same way that they had passed through the Red Sea. God stops the waters and they walk across on dry ground. And the Amorites living in the promised land in what is now Israel, uh, the first city there, an Amorite city, Jericho, seeing all of these things. And by the way, they heard about 40 years earlier that they had come out. And so what we have is this. God has given them this, this big 400-year period to do one of two things, either repent and turn toward him or to continue in their own ways to where they, you know, the only option is to judge them. And then when Israel comes out, now they have 40 years. And it's like a 40-year grace period, right? It's a grace period. They're hearing more things. They're learning more things about this God and given the opportunity to repent. And most of them don't. And so, you know, the question is, you know, were they aware of this? And they were. Let me show you. Let's go to Joshua chapter 2. Still just kind of setting the stage for what we want to look at today. If you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to grab one under the chairs there. Uh, I'll give you page numbers as you need them. We're going to start on page 246, Joshua chapter 2. Now Joshua, you know, had looked across the Jordan River and saw the the city of Jericho off there in the distance and, and knew that this was going to be the first... in the promised land that they were going to have to go in and defeat and take captive to to capture the land that God was promising to give them. So he sent out two spies uh, to go. And they went to Jericho and they came into the city and and to spy out that and the area around it. And they came into the city and um, trying to find a place that they could kind of hide themselves. And so they went to an innkeeper right by uh, the wall And, um, but this innkeeper was more than an innkeeper. This innkeeper was a prostitute, okay? And great place to hide, okay? Because all sorts of people would come and go there and might not raise eyebrows with anybody, all right? And so that's where they go, and and her name is Rahab. And so they are there. The the ruler of Jericho hears that two men have come in, and he's thinking they might be spies from Israel. And so he sends to Rahab's place and um, to find them, and Rahab makes a decision. And she hides the spies and sends the people off in a different direction. And what you're going to see here is that Rahab chose God over her own people and her own ways. So let's read here, verse eight. Now before they, the spies, lay down, she came up to them on the roof, Rahab came up, and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and by the way, we see the Lord and we just kind of think God, God, but this is the the key name, this is Jehovah. The Amorites had their own gods with their own names, and now she uses their name, their God, Jehovah, your God. Okay? I know that the Lord, your God, Jehovah, has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She's arrived at some conclusions about the true God, hasn't she? The God of Israel, Yahweh, he is the true God. Over everything, all everything up there, everything down here, he is the true God. And so she has had a change of mind and a change of heart. And what I want to say to you is that this same thing is available because what she says, we've all heard this, we've all seen this, we all know this. But Rahab decides, you know what, I'm going to throw my lot in with Jehovah, with the God of the Israelites. And as far as we know, the rest of the Canaanites did not do that. There could have been individuals here and there maybe who who turned to God and left and But by and large, they just stayed in their sin. You know, this is something that we learn about sin. Do you know that sin has a way of debilitating us? We might think we're operating fine on the surface. You know, we have the sin in our lives, and we're kind of letting it go. We're allowing it, and we continue along. But it has a way of debilitating our ability to really think wisely to think rightly about things and to make good and right decisions. And the longer we persist in that, the more debilitated we are. And I think this is what had happened largely to the people in the land of Canaan, the Amorites, that they had been so given over to sin that even though they can see what's true and know what's true, it's like they are immobilized. And somehow by the grace of God, Rahab doesn't stay there. She turns to God. So let's continue to read him. Verse 12. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father and my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all, they, all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the man answered her, our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, adjacent to the wall. She dwelt on the wall. Okay? And so we see her turning to the Lord. And my point is this. Based on what she's saying, we know what the Amorites knew, and that all of the Amorites could have done what Rahab did. Okay? They could have. But they didn't. They chose not to, in essence, they sealed their fate with that decision. All right, so let's go over to Joshua chapter 6 and get into the material we really want to consider today when it comes to this idea of uh, believing God and and doing the things we need to do in response to him. Page 250. Joshua chapter 6. It says, now Jericho... This is where Rahab was and where the spies had gone. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. So let's put the diagram up there of Jericho. So we have this diagram. This is what the ancient city probably looked like. It's a, a revetment wall or a retaining wall here and then wall built on top of that and then a space in between and an entire another wall up here where people live. My guess is this, is that the lower income Properties down here. Okay. <laughs> right? Because how many walls you got? Only one. <laughs> then the maybe the more well-to-do lived in the, the upper part of the city. Uh, and, uh, but this would have been the part of the city down here that Rahab lived in. Because she's against the wall where she can let them out. And they are outside of the city. Okay? Now, um, this city uh, was basically considered to be impenetrable. Unassailable. Uh, because of the way the walls were. They had a spring inside this city. We, we saw this spring uh, when we were in Israel this summer. Uh, but the spring, that would have provided all the water they needed. And we're going to see, we see as well in the story, if we had read it all, uh, that um, the harvest had just been finished. And so they had plenty of food and grain. In fact, it's estimated they could have just never had to come out of that city for two to three years, Probably. Right, so like I said, consider an impenetrable, unassailable city, and it says it was securely shut up. Verse two, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Uh, I've given you this city, you're gonna take it, you're gonna defeat it. Okay. And uh, how are we gonna do that, right? I mean, look at that thing, right? And we're gonna see later on some more information about the walls, but how are we going to do this? This reminds me of Moses and Israel at the Red Sea. Do you remember what they said? Here comes the Pharaoh and his armies, they're there, and, and God says to them what? Stop crying about this and go where? You Remember? Go forward, go forward. Uh, okay, one slight problem. What's the problem? The Red Sea. We can't go forward, because then we know God works the miracle, and it makes it so they can do what He told them to do. Go forward, there was no way they could, unless God worked. and guess what? God worked. Big time. And I want you to think about this. God is able to do whatever needs to be done in your life. Man, we need to let that sink down in and really you know, wrap our lives around it. God is able to do whatever needs to be done in your life. Just think about the things we've looked at this summer. Uh, he's able to take Adam and Eve who, who disobeyed the only command they had to worry about. They disobeyed it, they died spiritually. They were alienated from God and God yet provides a way for them and all of their descendants to be redeemed. And promises to do so. Then we have Noah. And it's a world that is just so corrupt that God finally says, i got to judge it. i got to wipe it out. And, and he's, God is so powerful. He can bring about this worldwide flood. And in the process, he can also tell Noah how to build a boat and save Noah's family in the middle of it. God is able to do what needs to be done. He's able. To, remember the story of Joseph? <laughs> Here is Joseph who was rejected by his family members and sold into slavery by them. And then he finds himself uh, falsely accused and thrown into jail. And out of that, all of a sudden in one day's time, God works and Joseph gets elevated and is the second in command in all of Egypt. How is that not a God thing? And then he's the one that God uses to save his family from famine, the ones who had rejected him earlier. God is able to do. And then we have Abraham, who God tells him, go sacrifice your son. And he takes Isaac to sacrifice him. And, you know, just having to trust God. And he's going with God. And at the very last minute, God stops him and does what? Miraculously provides a ram to sacrifice in place of Isaac. Okay? That's a God thing. God is able. And by the way, God also took his own son and sacrificed him in place of you and me. But God is able to do what needs to be done. And then we saw Israel crossing the Red Sea. We already talked about that, right? What an amazing miracle. And then we we saw how he fed them, a couple million people for 40 years in the desert, right? Miraculously feeding them. Um, And then we didn't read about it, we talked about it. Now he leads them into the, the promised land, crossing the Jordan. God is able to do whatever needs to be done in your life. So what needs to be done in your life today? What's going on in your life that you need God to work? Whether it's big in your face now or whether it's trouble that's coming. What do you need him to do? I mean, we've seen that he's very capable of doing it. Is there any reason to doubt that God can't do it? Now think hard about that, right? I mean, based on what we've seen in the scriptures, is there any reason to doubt that God can't deal with our problems? No, there's no reason to doubt at all. But sometimes we doubt, don't we? Sometimes we doubt. And in this story, we're gonna see a couple of reasons why we doubt and how we need to respond to those things. So let's continue reading here. Verse three, God begins to give Joshua instructions. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. (laughs) How would that hit you? Okay, here's how you get it. The security, yeah, that city, I know. The walled city, I get it. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. Here's what you're going to do. Just walk around it once a day for six days. Just walk around it. Don't talk. Just walk around it. Okay. On the seventh day, walk around it seven times. And then when I tell you, yell. And the wall will fall. Now, humanly speaking, does that make any sense at all? Humanly speaking, from our perspective, it makes no sense at all. And yet this is what God is telling them to do. The wall is gonna come down. Here's what you gotta do. Okay. All right, so let's read on. So now, now Joshua gets to tell the people this. <laughs> How'd you like to be Joshua? I'm your new great leader. You know, I've taken Moses' place. And yeah, we're gonna walk around the city. Okay. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise within your voice or with your voice nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around at once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp and Joshua rose early in the morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. The seven, then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns between, before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawn of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So is it making more sense to you now? you notice how many times it keeps saying what the details are and what they're doing? They were trying to do what God said the way he said to do it. All right. Here's what I want you to understand. One of the things I want you to understand this morning is this, that one of the reasons that we sometimes doubt the Lord and don't go forward like we should is because what he says to do and, or how he says to do it isn't making sense to us. And when we aren't fully yielded to the Lord the way we ought to, what makes sense to us rules. So what do we do about this? How do we respond to this? We have to learn something, okay? Here's what you gotta do, always. Trust God by doing what he says the way he says. Even when it doesn't make sense to you. Trust God to do what he says the way, he says, even when it doesn't make sense to you. And these things will happen in your life. So here's the Lord Jesus. He says, hey, you've heard it said that, that you should love your neighbors and hate your enemies. And we all go, what? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if we weren't Christians, right? But he says, no, but I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to them. Speak well of them. Pray for them. What? That doesn't really make sense. So here you are, you're, you're having financial problems and it's like you just don't have enough money to make ends meet and you find yourself going further in debt and how are we going to get us? And, and so you sit down and get some Christian counseling from a pastor or a fellow brother or sister in Christ and we open the word and they said, okay, okay, so here's, here's what you got to do. You got to make sure that before you do anything else with your money, you want to give at least the first 10% to God and honor him in that way. Okay, and then, and you go, oh, no, wait a minute, I don't think you heard me. My problem is that I don't have enough money, right? But God says, no, 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 give to me first. Seek first the kingdom of God and I will add those things to you. Doesn't make sense to us. Um, we could probably go on and on and find things. How about Jesus says, you know, if someone slaps you on one cheek, knock them out. No, slap me on one cheek, do what? Turn the other cheek. And the idea is to stay open. Don't change your relationship with this person. And, And he's talking here really about when we are offended by someone, someone who does us wrong, but it's not some huge, terrible way, but it's just like a slap in the face. We use that expression like a slap in the face. He's saying, hey, you stay open here. You continue open in this relationship. Well, that doesn't make sense to us, right? We're putting ourselves at risk again, we think. But... God says, do it. Trust God by doing what he says the way he says, even when it doesn't make sense to you. All right, so let's continue and see what happens. This is what Israel does. They do what he says, even if it didn't make sense to them. Uh, Verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout. Sure enough, that's not in the, the Bible there, but... That the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And that's what they'd said before every man straight before him as they are around the city. So let's do this. Um, let's, let's take a look again here at Jericho, as the walls, and see. Um, so this is a, uh, again, the diagram. This is the stone retaining wall, a revetment wall. It would have been about ten feet high, maybe a little higher in some places. And then on top of it, they would build this wall. And then we've gone up here, there's another wall, same kind of situation. But um, how does an army get up over that and over a wall? Right? It's almost impossible. You're 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 at great risk as you try to go up here. The enemy can probably attack you and defeat you. And so uh, by the way, this is, um, I didn't take this picture, uh, but this is what this is here, the stone retaining wall that, at the archaeological site there at Jericho. Okay, so it's, it's just the way the Bible says that it was. But let's go to the next diagram. Here's what God did. He caused this wall to fall down into here, and now it makes it so what? Every man can do what? Just go straight up and into the city. And so archaeology shows this. They find this tumbled wall outside the retaining wall, okay? So again, just the way the Bible says. Uh, Let's continue reading here. Let's go down to verse 22. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. Now listen to this. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. They destroyed and burned everything else. So uh, go to that next picture if you would there. So this is what archaeologists have found at... When they go down into Jericho, this old city, and find this lair of where things were, this is a lair that's rubble. Okay, that's why it's a lair like that. It's down, it's, it's crushed, it's tumbled. And you notice the darker color? That's ash. Because what did they do to the city? They burned the city. Go ahead and go to that next one in case someone's not seeing it. So just the way God said that it was. And then they also found clay pots. Okay, big clay pots full of grain uh, and the pots that were exposed, the grain was burned on the top. Uh, Now this is unusual because an invading army that finds a lot of grain, what do they do with it? You take it and feed your army with it and yet that isn't what happened here and it's because God told them not to take it as we're going to see in just a minute. They left it. So notice, what, what do we find in Jericho? Exactly what the Bible says. So this is off the subject, but can you trust what God says in his word? You absolutely can, okay? And then verse 25, and Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had, so she dwells in Israel to this day, at the time of the writing, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. What an, a work of grace, right? Right? That Rahab, this immoral woman, an Amorite, who had come to know and believe who God was. In essence, we would say in our turn, she came to the Lord. She got saved. And she marries a man named Salmon, and becomes the great, great, great grandmother of King David. And King David's descendant is Christ. This woman turns to God, by his grace, becomes part of the lineage of Christ. It's amazing. We're saying amazing grace, right? His grace is indeed amazing. And so, but here's the point, what we need to see. Remember, trust God by doing what he says the way he says, even when it doesn't make sense to you. All right, so that's one of the issues. Let's look at another one. Let's go back to verse 17. Now the city shall be doomed. This is what the instructions are. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed. And see, that's why they didn't take the grain. That's why they left all that stuff. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And then verse 21. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Both man and woman, young and old. This is a hard thing. What God told them to do was to go in and kill every man, woman, and child. And we so, as Christians, certainly in our day and our culture, revolt against this. You know, it's just unthinkable to us. And and we have a hard time wrapping our head around it. Let's take us a little bit to think about this. Remember that God had told Abraham, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Remember that? Gave them 400 years. Go ahead and go to that slide if you would. Thank you. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. But at this time, when Joshua and Israel are coming in, Scripture doesn't say it this way, but this is what it is. The iniquity of the Amorites is complete. It has reached a point where I can no longer allow it. It must be done away with. And so, you know, historians, archeologists, and they they look at the Amorite culture, it was a culture, uh, a very debauched culture. It was uh, no sense of the value of human life, no sense of uh, human rights and values, anything like that. And there was a sexual perversion of every kind in the Amorite culture. In fact if you go to Leviticus chapter 18 and God lists all these things that are not to be in the lives of his people sexual immorality I mean just every kind you can imagine don't imagine (laughs) okay all of that he says this is the way they are in the land the Amorites this is the way they are don't be like them and not only were they that way in their land they included this in their worship of whatever god they were happened to be worshiping at the time. They included all of that. And they even had child sacrifice in their culture. In, in the uh, Canaanite culture there, there was a place where they had this big statue, a metal cast statue, uh, and, and with its arms outstretched like this, and it was hollow underneath. And they would build a huge bonfire, blazing fire, and let that thing, get heated, heated, until it would be glowing red, and then they would take a baby and put it in the arms and just burn it to death. How far gone are you as a culture? By the way, I, I think of our culture, apart from all the Christians who are still here, man, we got, we aren't that far away from some of this. But anyway, so this is the way things were there. And it had reached a point where God said, "I am going to judge it, I am going to destroy it." And so we hear this, and we go, "Okay, yeah, that makes sense. The men and the women they're grown the adults and but the children I mean we could we could spend a lot of time here and go through you know a lot of logical reasoning and go through the scriptures and arrive some conclusions that you know I mean. What's the what's the hope for these children? They grow up any memories that they have, and what's is it going to them? Going to corrupt? Are they going to want it? I mean, just so many things, right? We can come up with all those reasons, um, and we can do that study, and we come up with some good, good reasons. But even if we find good logical answers, they aren't emotionally satisfying. You know what I mean by that, right? I can go and study and say, okay, I, I see it, I get it. I, I, I see how God is good exactly the way the Bible says he is and, and that he's also just and, judge, and, and I can see that. I can say, hey, uh, you know, decisions parents make always affect their children, right, for good or bad. That's true, too. We can say all that kind of stuff, but it just isn't emotionally satisfying. And that's okay. I think that um, we need to remember some things, and that is that, that our emotions are not truth determiners, are they? Our emotions are feelings. They're responses to things. Second thing I think we really want to remember is that our emotions, our feelings are limited by what we understand, by our understanding Okay, it's limited and we feel this way because of our limited understanding to some extent. um, I think the reality is this, that if we knew everything God knows, and if we understood everything the way God understands it, that we would arrive at the same conclusions God does. And here that included the taking of the lives of the children and there was only this one time in history when they were going into the land. That is the only time God has ever told that to happen. And the iniquity of the Amorites is full. We go on and on. But so we're not emotionally satisfied with this answer. And that's okay because, you know, it's not bad for us to struggle with this. In fact, if you don't struggle with this, something wrong with your heart. You know, God, I don't understand. doesn't mean I don't believe you. But I don't understand. You know? Um, it causes us to wrestle with the truth, to wrestle with God, and have to make decisions to believe. Those are all good things for us. And i got to say to you that in some level, I'm not sure God is emotionally satisfied with this. And God grieves over those who are lost to him. And, and think about what he has done. Romans chapter 5, it says these things. It says, Christ died for whom? the ungodly, those who didn't deserve it. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still what? Sinners, Christ died for us. God has shown his mercy and his grace and his love. And, and let me say this to you, my understanding of the scriptures, as I look at the scriptures in, in, in multiple places, is that children who aren't old enough to understand, you know, they, haven't, they don't really have a full understanding of, of right and wrong and their own responsibilities in that, Uh, People who are mentally incapacitated and who aren't able to understand or respond. I believe God provides a way for them and takes them to heaven. In fact, I'm confident when we get to heaven, we can meet these children from Jericho. And you know what? They don't feel like they've been wronged at all. See, they understand much better than we do from their perspective. But so it is hard. It is not emotionally satisfying. But God has done in sending his son, providing a way. It's his son's death and sacrifice for sins and resurrection that enabled Rahab to be saved. And all of us as well. And so here's a thought. I don't think we're in a very good place to pass a judgment on God. Because let me ask you today, do you know of any children right now who are growing up in a situation where they're not learning about the Lord, where they're not coming to learn that they need a Savior, where they don't have the opportunity to hear the gospel and be saved. Do you know any kids like that? Well, what are you doing about it? You see what I mean? I'm not sure where, you know, when we finally do everything God has done to reach the world, then we can consider passing judgment. So let's go back to our lessons. The first one was that we need to trust God and do what he says the way he says, even when it doesn't make sense. And then sometimes there will be very hard things. We need to trust him and do what he says the way he says, even when it's very hard. Even when it's very hard. And so the Lord may, I mean, think of this, Jesus said what? You need to love me more than you love your family. In fact, you need to love me so much that at those times in your life, when when you follow me and your family thinks about it, they're gonna say, why do you hate me? You must hate us to do this. That's a hard thing, isn't it? To follow the Lord and have your family hate you or think you hate them because you're following the Lord? You know, it may be that God will call uh, one of your children or your grandchildren or somebody very close to you In your family, call them to go to a very remote part of the world as a missionary, a dangerous place, and bring the light of Christ there. And and God expects you to let go. And not only let go, but be supportive and help. That's a very hard thing. You know, we tend to care way too much about what people think of us. You know, some people say, I don't care what anybody thinks. But, you know, the reality is that almost all of us at some level or some place care what other people think about us. And it may very well be that God brings us to a point where he he shows us in his word, you know, that we need to start something, stop something, change something. But we say, wow, but if I do this, people are going to think. You know, I'm crazy, or think less of me, or whatever it is. And so we struggle very, very hard to to let our reputations go. Very hard. But we got to do what? Do what God says the way he says, even when it's very hard. Whatever it is in life. There may be something in your life that you've always dreamed about, always wanted. You've worked years toward, planned for. You know, it's, it's just part of your, your life. And, and then God brings you to a point where he says, no. And you have to choose, well, wait a minute. Am I going with God or am I going to go with what I always? Yeah. I and mean, there's so many things, right? Like, that's just hard. Very, very hard. So we saw in the beginning that God is able to do whatever needs to be done in your life, right? But how do you experience that? How do you experience that? Well, you have to trust him and what? Do what he says the way he says. That's how you experience that. And you have to do that even when it doesn't make sense to you. And even when it's very hard. Let me show you where it takes you. Go to the end of the chapter, the last verse. Chapter six, verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. And we could just as easily say, so the Lord was with Israel, with God's people, and their fame spread throughout all the country. And if I will trust him by doing what he says the way he says, so the Lord was with Walt, and God gave Walt a testimony to share with the world around him. That's what God will do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father. I pray that we would see that that could be all of our testimonies, that, that the testimony of our life would become that you are with us and that you work because we trust you to do what you say the way you say it, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's hard and we experience you working in our lives. And, and you, you work sometimes in big, miraculous ways, in other ways just uh, small, wisdom ways, but you work in our lives and we know that you're with us. And, Lord, we have true stories to tell other people about you because of it. Oh God, help us stir our hearts to this, to believe you and honor you and trust you as we've considered here today. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. God bless you. You are dismissed. And if you have questions about, you know, this stuff like the, how can God be good and all, I'd be glad to talk with you about that if you'd like to, okay? You were dismissed.